All right, and welcome to the second episode of the Peer Through Podcast. I am Mark, your host. Uh, we're always looking forward to what's next in crypto and in tech. Um, I am joined by Ari, the head of communications for Zengo. Zengo is a wallet application that uses something a little bit different than the seed phrase technology we're used to. Um, I'm very curious about it, and so that's why I had him on this podcast. But Ari, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us just a, a quick overview of Zengo, and we'll take it from there. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here um, and looking forward to this conversation. So my name is Ari. I'm the head of communications at Zengo, and I've been with Zengo for about a year and a half now. Um, Zengo, as a, a crypto wallet, is, let's see, about four years old. At this stage, we have over 700,000 users around the world. And in many ways, Zengo is a traditional crypto wallet, what you would expect in a self-custodial wallet, right? It's multi-chain, so you can keep your Bitcoin, your ETH, many other crypto assets. Now, we just actually launched this week the ability to view your NFTs in an NFT gallery. You can change one crypto asset to another inside of the wallet, um, get interest on your crypto, and more, right? All of the things that you would expect. But I think the most interesting thing about Zengo, and the thing that we like to talk about, is that it is different than every other traditional crypto wallet you've probably encountered, because it has no private key vulnerability. It has no seed phrase vulnerability. Instead, Zengo uses this technology called MPC, which stands for multi-party computation. I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit today. Um, but that means that there's no single point of failure within this wallet architecture. So every time you've heard about somebody losing their seed phrase or accidentally writing it down somewhere, getting fished, having somebody steal their crypto, well, that can't happen probably to most MPC-based wallets, but certainly to the Zengo wallet because, like I said before, right, there is no private key. Yeah, and, and that's super interesting. So a few things I want to clarify is, one, uh, when you're saying traditional crypto wallets, I, I want to clarify that it is self-custody. So, And yes. you also mentioned interest. So we're not talking about Celsius and BlockFi and that it's it's a very different thing. We're talking more in lines with the MetaMasks and, and the Ledgers and, and Trezors, even though it's not a specific hardware wallet. Um, I guess I also wanted to state that... Um, I'm wearing my old Uport shirt here. That's that's an OG crypto company that was trying to make identity. So I wanted to state that while I'm not uh, necessarily like pr promoting Zengo, uh, I haven't used it yet. I think I'm going to try it out. Hopefully after this conversation, I I'm hope just, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm or I haven't super, done my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just super um, interested in it, and I wanted to talk to you more about it because. I think self-custody has shown to be incredibly important now with all this FTX stuff and BlockFi and Celsius and so many other things, you know, not your keys, not your coin. That's not exactly what you guys are doing. But what we're saying here is if you're not the one holding it, uh, we have some problems. But I'm also of the belief that, you know, I don't think seed phrases are the end state. Um, you know, in my mind, I'm always kind of looking for that crypto wallet that I would be completely comfortable telling my mom to use. Right. Um, which is, you know, not a custody wallet, but then at the same time, like it has to be a little bit more user-friendly. Maybe there's a way to recover your account. Um, so I found Zengo. I've heard about MPC technology. Uh, I've seen it used by the company Fireblocks, which is kind of like a B2B wallet almost. Uh, they do custody for larger corporations. So yeah, I guess, could you tell us a bit more about what 
MPC is and why it's in place of a seed phrase and how I, as a user, am still in complete control and you guys couldn't, you know, lend my crypto out on the back end or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And I mean, we've seen with the declaration of bankruptcy by um, not not just uh, FTX, but BlockFi, Celsius, all of these other centralized exchanges or crypto banks, whatever you want to call them, that especially in a place with poor or no regulation, it's even worse than a bank. Because at least with a bank, at least in the United States, you have deposit insurance, you have systems, you have some sort of um, process by which you you can trust that the government will at least take care of your assets if the local bank won't. But with this new world of centralized crypto, we don't have any sort of on-chain analytics and we don't have any sort of regulations for the most part. So it's kind of like the worst case scenario. But at the end of the day, a lot of people are keeping their crypto there, especially a lot of the newbies, because they're afraid to self-custody and they don't know how to. And that's one of the reasons why we focused on building what we're building at Zengo. But what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is actually kind of take a step back and look at the industry from a 30,000 foot view for a second to, to get a better sense of like where we stand as an industry um, and ask if we're actually ready for the next billion people that are coming into this space. Right. So if you look at crypto right now, there are about 150 million to 200 million people who have some sort of crypto asset, whether that's Bitcoin, Ethereum, NFTs, etc. But based on current adoption rates, we expect to hit around 1 billion by 2030. Right, so wow. over the next eight years, a billion-ish people are coming into the crypto space. That's, that's a massive wave of, of adoption. And, and actually, if you look at it, it is the fastest technology to ever be adopted. Until now, the internet was the fastest tech to be adopted around the world. Crypto is currently being adopted faster than the internet, which isn't particularly surprising. But then the question is, as an industry, are we ready for them? Are we ready for the billion people? So I actually want to ask you a question, um, which is how much crypto, not even crypto, how much Bitcoin has been lost or stolen over the last 10 years because of private key mismanagement? So just because of private key mismanagement, we're not talking the FTX debacle. We're talking, I have my Bitcoin and I lose my seed phrase. Exactly. Maybe a billion dollars. I don't know. I'm kind of throwing out a random number. <laughs> Good for you. Let, let's uh, 100x that. $100 billion? $100 billion. Of course, it depends on the price of Bitcoin sure. in US dollar terms and the fluctuation, but that's only Bitcoin. That's not even Ethereum or all these other crypto assets. Sure. And, and these are us. These are the early adopters, the people who supposedly understand the technology, at least to a degree, and feel confident that they can self-custody appropriately. So again, when we say that we're waiting for a billion people to come into the ecosystem in the next decade, and we're saying that we have the solution and it's this traditional crypto wallet with a private key and a seed phrase, we can't even do it ourselves. So how can we expect our mothers, our fathers, our aunts and uncles, our brothers and sisters to do it as well? Right. So that's yeah. kind of the big problem that Zengo is trying to fix. Uh, I totally agree. I do think custody is probably the biggest uh, barrier to entry for a lot of people, because as I said earlier, like, what do you tell your mom to how do you tell them to store it? You can't tell them to do it in the custodial exchanges because we've seen the dangers of that. And then 
you know, if someone's not that tech savvy, or even if they are tech savvy, as you're saying, like, you know, humans make mistakes. Uh, I could, I could accidentally throw out the the seed phrase or, or store it on, or maybe, you know, you store it in your email. I've heard, I've seen so many people that say they store it in their email and they don't understand how hackable (laughs) that is. Absolutely. I think the best technology is technology that's working behind the scenes. Um, the best security is security that's built into a system where you can't even make the mistake, right? So one of the things, one of the reasons why we chose to lean into MPC instead of the traditional private key um, seed phrase architecture is because even if, let, let's pretend I'm a, a, a hacker and I reach out to somebody with a Zengo wallet and I say, yo, I can fix, or hey, I met a mask, right? I can f- I'm a bot online. All I need is for you to fill out this Google form, put down your seed phrase, and you'll be fine. Well, if a Zengo user gets to that form, they don't have a seed phrase to input. There's nothing that they can actually, and we can talk about the, we have a three-factor recovery system. Even if they were to give parts of this recovery system to this bot, that bot still wouldn't be able to access their wallet, right? So if you can abstract all of this complexity so the average person and even the advanced person can't even make mistakes, that's the best type of technology, especially when we're trying to onboard all of these new people over the next few years. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and again, that's what interested me and why, why I had you on here. So I guess now just to get into the the kind of the weeds of it is my question is, is like, there's kind of two things. One is what happens if I have private key mismanagement, which doesn't exist, or if I lose access to my account, how do you guys let me recover it? And then on the other side of that, because that's what, you know, custodial wallets have solved. But Mm -hmm. on the other side of that, how do I know that it is a non-custodial wallet, as in I I hold it, um, and you guys can't be doing, not that I'm accusing you, but you guys can't be doing nefarious things with my funds, or if I'm able to recover my lost crypto password how can you let me recover it without you also not being able to just go in there and move my bitcoin to another wallet yeah no that's an excellent question so what i think i'll do is i'll try to explain it at like the base level and then we can circle back on it in a little more advanced approach Um, so mpc is a technology first of all it stands for multi-party computation where essentially you have multiple parties and the goal is to compute some sort of equation without actually meeting each other, right? So the, uh, an example that folks like to use when they explain MPC is, let's say you had three coworkers working in the same office, all making different salaries. They want to know what the average salary is, but they don't want to divulge what their personal salary is to their coworkers. Through, so through MPC, you can essentially create some sort of mathematical equation that allows you to compute this without anybody knowing the inputs and then finding out what the solution is. So it's essentially, okay, so the way that we use it, Zengo, um, and, and, and I think I mentioned, maybe I didn't, MPC has been around since the 1970s. Um, it's not new technology, it's just more complicated. Um, I think you mentioned earlier that Fireblocks and at the institutional level, MPC is already being used in the crypto space for a number of years, custodying billions of dollars of crypto. Um, it's just that crypto wallets haven't been offering it yet just because it's a lot of work to put together. We were founded as a company in 2018, but we actually spent the first year and a half just building out the MPC technology before we even worked on the alpha version of our wallet. 
And actually right now, Zengo maintains the world's largest open source MPC database. You can check it out on our GitHub. And we have people from around the world who aren't even part of Zengo who are actively working on the code, trying to understand it, contribute to it. We've got a great Telegram group for folks who are interested in joining that as well. So that's kind of MPC as, as, a, as an approach uh, in crypto. And I would suggest that we're going to start to see a lot more people lean towards MPC in the future because of some of these benefits that it offers. Okay, so what does it actually do for us? Because different wallets and different institutions might have different approaches. Before I explain how we do it for MPC-based wallets, let's explain for a second how a traditional wallet would create this public, private key and seed phrase, right? Okay. So once the information leaves your wallet and it's going towards a node to interact with the blockchain, the first thing to note is that it's the same. The node won't know or won't be able to distinguish anything different between a transaction coming from an MPC wallet and a transaction coming from a traditional based wallet. So it allows for us to integrate with the traditional blockchain ecosystem, no matter the blockchain, in the same way. Okay. With a traditional wallet, you would create, uh, you'd open your phone, you'd create your wallet, and then actually on your device, right, it creates this randomized process using your device hardware to generate a seed phrase and then a private key. So it's happening on your device. What Zango does is essentially do that, but twice and in two different places. So instead of you doing that, creating a seed phrase on your device, once you download Zango, the first thing that you do is you create and you attach your device and your Zango wallet um, to your email account. And the server, the Zango server recognizes that. And then once that happens and you press the button to create, your, you're finalizing the creation of your wallet, the Zango server creates what we call a secret share. Your phone does the same thing, creates its own secret share on the device. The two secret shares communicate with each other to acknowledge each other's presence, but they never actually meet. So we use two secret shares that compute with each other in order to do the same thing that a traditional private key seed phrase would do. I'll stop there for a second. Okay, so it's there's a secret share, which I know this is probably not how technically it works. We could almost say like half half the seed phrase is on my device, half the seed phrase is on your server. I mean, that's one way to kind of think of it when you're building a mental model, but it's yeah. not like we create a seed phrase and we break it in two. They're actually two independent, independently created secret shares. Um, okay. And, and what they do whenever you want to sign something is write multi-party computation. They compute with each other in order to support whatever transaction you're trying to do uh, online or you know, with the blockchain. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think I can agree with that so far. So then my question is, um, if a hacker gets into my phone, what's stopping it being any different than just, yeah, just it normally being on my phone? Right. So your question your is like server. the seed phrase, right? Because so when, when you go to recover a traditional wallet, you have a seed phrase and, you know, it's 12 words, it's 24 words, you're storing it, hopefully somewhere secure, hopefully not on your phone. Some people write it down, some people keep it in an air gapped uh, device. Um, what we have instead is a three part recovery kit. And each parts of that recovery kit are, are orthogonal and that they're not 
related to each other. So a hacker would have a very difficult time accessing and putting all three together. So the first part of this kit is your email address. You need to have access to the same email address that you've used to create your wallet. Now we do okay. actually allow you to create a secondary, a backup email address if you need to, because we want to make sure that there's some redundancy. So that's step one. The hacker would need access to your email address. The second thing that we create during the onboarding process um, is a recovery kit. This okay. recovery kit is stored in your Google, uh, let's say your Google Drive or your iCloud. And I can explain a little bit more detail how this recovery kit actually works. But this must be accessed in order to restore your wallet if you want access to it in the future. Right, so we discussed our email address, we discussed the recovery kit, and now the third part of this 3FA is actually a liveness um, biometric selfie scan. Right, so okay. during, the, during the initiation process of the wallet, you take your phone, you kind of do a selfie. It's sort of like uh, what Face ID is uh, for people who use Apple products, mm -hmm. but it's not a picture. It's an actual live detection of how your face works, how it moves. Um, this is turned into a mathematical representation of your face. And this is critical if you want to recover. So even if somebody gets a photo of you um, or creates some sort of model, it won't work either. You need all three of these to happen um, and you need your actual presence to exist. This is one of the first wallets I think that actually uses this sort of biometric technology, which is really cool. Um, we've seen lot, larger institutions use it. We've seen some ministries uh, use it for the high security uh, purposes, but we're really excited to be using this tech. It also means, by the way, that you have to be a real person to use Zengo. So Zengo users can't be bots because a real person has to actually build and establish the wallet and do the recovery system. Okay, great. I have a, a few questions, but to start, you mentioned like a photo. So a photo would not work on the selfie side of things or no, any sort of... No, a photo wouldn't work. We actually have a few examples on our website of people who have tried to hack it, People have tried to test the system, mm. but one of the reasons why is because it's a liveness detection. It sees your face as it moves. It looks at it from a 3D perspective. Um, we work with um, a company that you know, specializes in doing this for some of the world's largest institutions, um, custodying you know, billions of dollars of assets. Um, and uh, they, they, they've essentially perfected the technology where no one has been able to hack it yet. Certainly no Zango user has ever had their accounts hacked based on the way that we've developed this three-factor system. Okay, great. Um, so now let, let, let's back up. We have the three things. We have the email, the recovery kit, and the selfie scan. Um, let's even take it back. We've talked a lot about like recovering your lost wallet or private key management, but let's just say like I want to... I want the actual owner of the wallet want to send a Bitcoin transaction to you or an Ethereum transaction, what does the process look like? So I go into my Zengo wallet. Do I have to, in the same way you have to like click confirm on your ledger, do I have to scan my face? Do I have to go into my email? So can you just walk me through the, the sending sure, a legitimate yeah, so, transaction? Absolutely. Yeah. So every time you would want to use your wallet, the first thing to note is actually um, if somebody has a normal phone, um, mobile device, and has never locked it before, we don't let them actually create a wallet. 
an, okay. an account. We, so we've actually forced a lot of people around the world to lock their phones for the first time, whether it's you know, device lock through Face ID or um, you know, a pin code or moving your finger to create a geometric shape. Um, that's frustrated some people, and we understand that, but we think that you know, custodying your assets safely is more important than the, con you know, the, the convenience of not spending a second to unlock your phone. Sure. Um, Every time you want to open Zengo, you're, you have to unlock the, with the same device lock that you have on your phone. And every time you want to send a transaction, you also have to confirm doing the same thing. In the future, we're looking into um, going into deeper versions of that, maybe requiring um, the, the biometric selfie scan for high-value transactions or things like that. Okay, so as of now, though, if somebody just had my phone passcode, they could go into Zengo and send away my Bitcoin? Yeah, which is why it's important to have a strong code. I mean, that's industry standards um, for pretty much every fintech and uh, crypto company at this stage. That's not good enough for us, so we're working on developing even deeper solutions. But we wanted to make sure that we had at least that in place at this stage. Okay, yeah, that seems slightly on the weaker end though to me is like well you wouldn't want to hold like say a million dollars in there and the only thing that's helping you is your like four digit pin code to your iphone right so i don't think iphones allow four digit pin codes anymore i could be wrong or right i think it's a whatever. six digit right or something deeper that's why it's important to have you know strong security on your phone um at the end of the day it's important right we can always develop more advanced levels of security to unlock different um, levels of access based on how you want to keep your crypto. And that's definitely something that we're working on. Um, but at the, the early stages, we think that this is a really great start. Yeah, it's definitely a different approach. And I like the selfie scan live for recovery and the recovery kit and the email. I guess as a user, what just maybe I'm speaking as a party one, but I would think anybody who's custodying more money would want that. Like, you know, before I send any transaction, I have to, the same way I have to click the two buttons on the ledger uh, to sign a transaction to show that I'm physically present with the ledger. Um, I would want to have to like selfie scan my face for it to go through. I mean, so essentially, maybe, maybe I wasn't clear. You have to do the reconfirmation once you're inside in order to actually send something. So it's similar to a ledger, which, right, well, you have the, the pin code to enter the first time, but once you're in, you don't need to use that pin code again to actually send something, right? It's just pressing the two buttons to send the, the transaction. So similar for Zengo, um, once you're in the, the actual app, if you want to send a transaction, you still have to re-authenticate with your device ID, whether that's, um, you know, uh, iOS um, device scan or... Um, putting their pin code in again. Okay, yeah, but it's still then just entering the pin code twice. So like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I, I like the approach. But to me, I feel like your the security breaks down at just someone one person knowing your your iPhone pin code, which would be the same for any other device like the one that you just mentioned. I guess it's like the same for Venmo, but then again, we have like the government protections there where it's it's connected to a bank. Um, no, but you were just saying, for for example, right? If you're using a hardware device, mm -hmm. once you put the pin code in once, all you oh. need is access to the same pin code, right? So there's no difference. Okay, no, I see. And what if you're anything, saying. That's a fair I would say, 
you know, if you're using something like an iPhone, um, for most people, it's Face ID. So it's in many ways even stronger because a pin code you can remember. But, you know, I have to when I'm when I'm in bed and I'm like half scanning, reading my phone and I have to like open my eyes and stare at it with a bright screen just to get the phone on again is uh, I think most people would see that as more secure than knowing a few numbers to to input to open the device. No, that yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a fair counterpoint, actually. I never really thought about how. I guess and the only... I would add to it that, and this is one of those issues where I think you know, the, the, there's this mental model that expects and suggests that the most secure way to custody or self-custody your assets, your crypto assets, is with a hardware device. And a hardware device, forget you know that if you could lose it or misplace it, it's much more difficult to recover that if you've misplaced it, right? Um, but when it comes to the seed phrase backup, that still is the single point of failure. So wherever you've placed that, as long as you know that you can find it and nobody else can, that you're fine. But that still ends up being, in my opinion, um, uh, more worrisome than uh, like this three-factor recovery process that Zengo developed. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So um, at least with Zengo, if you say, do figure out my pin from my phone, you still have to be, you can't reset up a Zengo wallet on another phone and take it the way you could with a seed phrase, like a hacker across the world, if they found out my seed phrase, uh, even without my ledger, could put that seed phrase into exactly. a brand new MetaMask and send it from around the world. Okay, there, there is a point there in your all's um, bucket for, for security. <laughs> and I agree. No, and, and I agree that, look, we're developing um, additional layers of protections and securities because we, we, we really do believe that this is the there is no perfect security solution, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's always a spectrum of different approaches. And most of the um, vulnerabilities end up coming back to, to humans at the end of the day. So it uh, also depends on how we actually engage with the technologies that we develop. Um, but by building this baseline architecture on MPC, we think that we have a much stronger base that allows us to add many more layers of creative security protections over time as opposed to this traditional private key seed phrase system, um, you can build new hardware devices, but at the end of the day, if you're still relying on this seed phrase vulnerability, that's an issue. Um, one of the, the concepts that I really like, uh, our, our CTO taught this to me, I don't know, like six months ago, is this, um, this inherent contradiction um, between recoverability and security when it comes to a seed phrase or a private key, right? Because everything is surrounded around a private key or a seed phrase, it's a single point of failure. And when you have that from a security perspective, you don't want that to be anywhere, right? You don't want anyone to be able to get access to this because whoever has access to it has access to your assets. But at the same time, from a recoverability perspective, you want this thing to be everywhere, right? Because Right. If you lose it, then no one's going to ever have access to it. Right. And one, like I shared earlier, right, over a hundred billion dollars worth of uh, crypto or Bitcoin alone has been lost or stolen because of seed phrase private key mismanagement. So by taking the single point of vulnerability and splitting it into more than one, right, in our case, we use two secret shares 
it makes it much more difficult for a hacker to access it. And at the same time, it makes it much more easy for someone to recover it. Got it. Okay, so let's let's move on then to your side of things. I do see the value from the customer side of things. Personally, I think it would be cool if if there was your iPhone password code and then maybe that live scan was like another level, basically a different passcode for the Zengo wallet or like a live scan in order to just send a transaction. But um, I do think you had a pretty good counterpoint of like, if someone knows the pin code to my ledger, it's the same thing. To counter that, I would say, you know, but like, I'm not bringing my ledger around all the time. Like people are, I'm bringing my phone around and all the time friends or, or spouses are, are like, you know, what's your, what's your iPhone password? I need to get in there to do some music. But again, yeah, semantics and like... I, I mean, I, I understand that. I think, you know, we will be rolling out with these additional security protections in the next few quarters, which we're really excited about. Um, and until then, I would just say, right, for most people, your phone is one of the most important things connected to you. It's not just where you would store your crypto. It also has access to all of your bank accounts, to your credit cards. Um, and so everyone should be very careful how they handle their wallets and their uh, their personal mobile devices. Yeah, I totally agree. And even just thinking about it from like a Venmo perspective, you know, I could just be like, hey, Ari, can I borrow your phone? Uh, I need to like, you know, look something up and just go into your Venmo app and send me a hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, and Venmo's not sending that back. They, In their mind, that was your phone and you, you're responsible for that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So uh, I guess there's always that. So I guess large picture, everybody just be more more careful with your phone out there in general, crypto or not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so much info out there. But let's let's shift it over to the server side because that's kind of what differentiates you guys. Um, and then we can get more into the recoverability. But on the server side, let's say, um, I know you're probably not supposed to do this at all as head of communication, but let's say there's a huge rogue actor at Zengo and they want to take my or everyone's crypto but let's just say my crypto um what what powers do they have like if that was even possible it's basically their only way they would do that is like to also obtain me physically plus my phone or, or like yeah well so that's it that's perfect right because you're highlighting what i said before which is kind of these orthogonal approaches to security where somebody who wants to, to let's say you wanted to hack everyone's Zengo wallet somehow. Well, first you'd have to get access to the Zengo server, which has a very different set of protections and security procedures enabled. And that's only part of the, the big picture because at the end of the day, the money, the crypto assets are not on the Zengo server. They're on everybody's personal devices. So Mark, we'd have to get access to you and we'd have to somehow get into the server at the same time without noticing any of these things happening. And of course we have active security measures ongoing all of the time. Um, and then you'd have to right, do some sort of action. So by breaking up the responsibility into multiple places and giving access to actually supporting whatever you want to do on chain in different ways, we make it much more challenging for a bad actor to do anything that they would want to. Like I said, Nothing is 100% perfect, um, but we think in order of magnitude, at least compared to everything else on the market. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that, that's understandable. Also, I feel like we touched on this slightly, but I, I want to just get it completely confirmed. Um, you can use Zengo with 
any like DeFi, uh, wh- whatever it is, right? Just the same oh, way. Oh yeah, use no, a that's a great point. Or... Right, it's a Web three wallet. So right now we support uh, Ethereum. We just actually announced this. Well, we announced support for NFT galleries. With that is coming support for Polygon as well. Uh, we announced in a previous quarters that we're working on support for Solana. One of the beauties behind MPC is that it's easier for us to add chains over time because it can be blockchain agnostic compared to other types of wallets that have it a little more complicated, right? You'll you'll get a lot of wallets that say, oh yeah, we're multi-chain, but they end up only being like EVM compliant as opposed to also supporting Bitcoin and other types of chains. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to to make that clear that it was a web three wallet. I would actually add as well is um, we were probably the first wallet to develop a built-in web three firewall. Right, so every time you're actually supporting an on-chain transaction, our firewall is actively monitoring in the back end to prevent you from making some of the worst mistakes that we've seen already happen in Web3. Right, so I think this year alone, over $3 billion has been stolen through Web3 hacks and phishing attempts. And by that, I mean, you, you're about to sign a transaction. You think that you're just giving access to, you know, you're sending... You're sending um, your one NFT to a friend, um, and it turns out to be a wallet drainer where you're giving access to a smart contract to everything. Or you think that you're sending um, your assets to a smart contract, and instead it's actually a private wallet controlled by a hacker. So this Web3 firewall that we created, we call it ClearSign, uh, is built into three levels of you know, just like a stoplight, green, uh, yellow, and red. And will tell every user before they're, they're about to sign a transaction how potentially dangerous the transaction is. If it's green, if it's verified, we know it's good. Um, and we have verified transactions with some smart contracts that we know are legitimate. Sure. At the other end of the spectrum, we will pr- we will share a red image and say, hey, this looks like it's you know, 99% an attack. We don't suggest that you approve this. And if somebody chooses to just swipe anyway because they want to approve it, we actually force them to double approve the transaction just to make sure that they're not making a mistake. Um, Because we think that a lot of people right now simply don't understand what they're approving. So we're trying to, through ClearSign and through this Web3 firewall, help people better understand what the code will actually do when they say go. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's good to know. I mean so many like fake mints out there and i mean my twitter is now just filled with like mint this and you go to the website which you shouldn't even go to the website but then you look and it's just like actually not minting anything it's just giving access to all nfts in your wallet or whatever it is um okay so i think i understand correctly too i want to get into a bit of the recovery and i get that you know your server side uh without getting too technical makes sense it holds the other um secret store as as you call it and um and yeah, that makes sense. So in order to hack someone, you need access, you need to hack them kind of at a physical level of, of get their phone. And then you also need to hack Zengo as well, which is obviously a lot harder to do at the exact same time than any one person. Um, from a recovery... Without any countermeasures being deployed right at the same time, right? Because at the end of the day, an attack is usually one person tries to attack and then there's a response and then there's a response to the response, right? It's not just like a zero to 100 automatically. Yep. Yeah, that's another good point. Um, Okay, so if you let's go through some possible user scenarios here outside of hacks. Um, I'm assuming and this is fine. There's nothing you guys can do to protect against this. Like if I lost access to my email and my recovery kit 
and lost my phone. So just like personal <laughs> Armageddon happened. Um, there'd be not too much you guys could do to get my crypto back. Right? Yeah, that would sort of be like uh, losing your 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 whatever you need to recover, right? Like losing your seed phrase. At the end of the day, um, there's a beauty in being self-custodial. You get to be in control of your assets. But that also means that you're in control and you're responsible. So we try our best to empower a user. Um, but if they, if they haven't done anything, like we try our best. For example, um, you have your main email address. You can also add a secondary email address if you think that something could happen and you want to make sure that you have access through a different way. Um, when you create your recovery kit, um, if you have an iPhone, it's automatically stored in your iCloud. But you can also, in a simple tap, add it to your Google Drive, and you can also add it to your Dropbox. And that's also an option for um, Android users. The default is the Google Drive, but you can also add it to your Dropbox as well. So by adding it in more than one spot, you know you increase the likelihood of being able to recover it. And again, this kit is only required if your phone gets lost or stolen. On a normal day, this kit isn't even being used. Okay. Um, if someone hacks my Dropbox and gets access to my recovery kit and I'm, I still have my phone, are you able, would they be able to, it's a great question. If that happens, it does nothing, (laughs) absolutely nothing. And here's why the recovery kit, and here's where we can go go into a little more information, uh, a little more detail if you'd like to, the recovery kit kept in, um, the iCloud or whatever backup drive is just a decryption key for your secret share. And the only way that decryption key unlocks your secret share is through your liveness um, biometric scan. So the hacker would have to somehow get access to the secret share and get access to your email address. So those are two different things. And they'd have to get access to you. They'd have to be in the room with you and they'd have to take a live scan of you with you choosing to you know, willingly do it. I mean, look, it's not perfect, like I said, nothing is perfect, but when you compare that whole recovery process and the security behind it to the daily issue for the average crypto user, which is your seed phrase is getting stolen or lost, um, this is an order of magnitude better of a solution. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's definitely on the right path. And to be honest, if you told me in my Armag- my tech Armageddon scenario where I lost access to my email recovery kit and... My phone, if you told me that you were able to help me, then we can go into this question anyway. I would be like, well, then is it a self-custody wallet? Um, so I guess <laughs> yeah. the question is, is kind of like, you know, how, um, hmm. yeah, I guess, you know, from your guys' end, as long as I have access to either my phone or the recovery kit or my email, um, we can always put together my secret share again. Or, exactly. or when, when do you stop being able to help me? Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I'd say, um, I don't even know if I mentioned this, but we actually have in-app 24-7 support, right? So first of all, we're always around to help our, our users, um, which is kind of rare in the crypto space, right? Like there are, new do, do, there are no do-overs in crypto because once it's on the blockchain, there are no, right, takesy-backsies. Um, sure. We recognize that. And so actually a lot of users come to us on a daily basis and just like, hey, what is this? How do I do this? Or I want to do this. Is this okay? Um, sometimes we peop- we catch people who are being scammed actively by the world because unfortunately this happens a lot in crypto. And we could say, hey, the, 
this probably isn't legitimate. You should stop. And we've saved a lot of folks from accidentally sending crypto to people who shouldn't be receiving it. Um, how? What's the limit to which we can help someone? I would say, like I said, if you don't have access to either of your email addresses and you don't have your uh, um, recovery kit anywhere, then we probably won't be able to help you. Um, that I am not aware of ever happening. Um, it's possible that it can and it probably will happen, right? Just like every traditional crypto wallet also has many users who have lost their seed phrases, um, you know, had their private key hacked. But I would suggest that the percentage of Zango users who have, who have had that issue is much, much smaller than people who are using the traditional wallet. Okay. Um, then <coughs> then from me. the other, other end of kind of helping from customer mismanagement, I don't know if you can share these figures, but are people storing big money in the Zengo wallet? Like, do you have a lot of million dollar wallets on there or um, is that allowed um, to be shared? <laughs> well, what, what I can say, and especially in the recent, in the last few weeks, um, Zengo has hit all-time highs on every single one of our metrics since we were founded as a company. And it's really made our founders look prescient when they built this type of infrastructure um, a few years ago, right? Because I think a lot of people um, have kept their money on exchanges for too long. It was perceived to be safe. Most of them were perceived to be trustworthy. But after the collapse of um, FTX, people really want to put it somewhere else. And I think a lot of folks have been keeping money on exchanges because they're afraid of moving it to a traditional crypto wallet. They've heard about hacks, right? They've heard about private keys getting lost or seed phrases getting misplaced. Um, and I remember it was maybe two or three weeks ago, I was all over crypto Twitter and I saw people being like, I wish there was a solution. I wish there was something that was self-custodial that allowed you to you know, control your crypto assets, but um, didn't have a seed phrase. And I was like shouting into the, into the wind, hey, we exist. Um, Come and join us. The water is fine over here. There's a reason why we're called Zengo, um, because we'll take care of making sure that you've got your crypto in a safe place. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more significant assets move to Zengo. And I think like I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I'll also say that we're spending a lot of time now in our product roadmap, further developing security focused features that go beyond this baseline architecture that we already have with MPC and with the, like the web three fi firewall clear sign. Okay. Good to know. Um, I guess my last uh, question would be is, you know, if, if compared to all that's out there, uh, do you feel like it is the best place to tell your mom to keep her crypto? If you... <laughs> um, so not only do I, but I have, Hi, mom. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, but this is this was the issue. Um, you know, she had some crypto assets in Zengo, and she had some, you know, in in, in a centralized exchange. And um, you know, after things happened, it was very clear that things shouldn't be left on an exchange. And the only place she felt comfortable leaving them was in Zengo. So I'm really proud of her. I'm proud of other family members who, you know. Some have made the move more recently. Many I know have, have already been using it for a long time. Um, but this is the solution, I believe, not just for all of these 1 billion people who are starting to come into crypto over the next eight years, but also a lot of more advanced crypto users, who some of whom are probably you know, really obsessive and OCD about 
keeping their private key or seed phrase in a safe place, but many of whom are not. And every time I hear about an NFT community that had their NFT stolen again, or DeFi folks who have been clicking on things and accidentally approving things that are draining their wallets, I want to remind them that there are, are better solutions out there like Zengo. At the very least, check it out. You know, if you have questions, that's what we're here for. Always ready to have a conversation because while we might not be the best solution for everyone, I think we're the best solution for most people. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. You know, I, I think uh, after speaking with you, maybe I just have the privilege of that. I'm definitely going to move some funds over uh, into Zengo. I guess my personal opinion is you should probably uh, spread them out over a few things um, so that you can just diversify in that manner. But um, yeah, I don't think it's, you know, and no one would want to keep all of their eggs in one basket. Um, That's just kind of general best practices, right? Um, But understanding kind of these new security technologies and um, crypto technologies that are coming into this space is kind of like crypto 2.0 that will help get and drive a, a larger wave of adoption. And, it's make it easier for people who are already in the space to just enjoy being in the space and not have to worry so much. Um, that's that's what we're all about, right? And that's what we're working towards. Uh, we're not the only ones doing it, like I said, and I think we're going to see a lot more folks focus on this in the coming few years. Um, but we're excited to help lead the pack. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's interesting because even though I'm, Zengo is free to download, I'm assuming, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so... So, even so I would it... say um, only download Zengo through right, official the official app store, right? Uh, Google Play. Um, you know, we've seen some spammers uh, or scammers try to have folks download not just Zengo, but other you know, claim to be downloading other wallets in random websites that, of course, are not the, the right place to, to do so. Sure. I'll put a, a link in the description to Zengo mm-hmm. with this one. And then... Um... Also, I guess what I wanted to say, though, is it's an interesting sell, even though it's it's not necessarily a sell. I'm sure there's fees for buying and purchasing, but it's an interesting sell because mm-hmm. it's free, but it's just such a, uh, I guess, like a touchy subject or a big subject of like, where do I actually keep my funds? And and so it's a you're you're trying to access like a different part of people's brains uh, to convince them that Zengo is the place to go. So yeah, cool. we understand that. And we're, we're here to play the long game, right? right. Um, that's why you know, we have a, a whole team called Zengo X. It's a research team focused on not just developing more advanced security assets for Zengo itself. Um, we, we've spoken at many Black Hat uh, conventions before. We've actually discovered um, and we're going to announce, I can't share it yet, but we're going to announce a discovery of a, um, a vulnerability in a way some of the other many other wallets are trying to actually protect people in Web3. Um, the, the wallets are working on kind of fixing those issues, and we'll be announcing that soon. But um, you know, not only do we want to continue to improve Zengo, but it is about giving back to the ecosystem and helping all of us grow because we're, we're really just at the beginning of, of this amazing future that I think we're all building together. Yeah, totally agree. And, and I, I agree. Custody um, is, is a massive stepping stone um, along the way. So I know we got to end it up here. And Aria, I thank you so much for your time. Is there any uh, final thing you want to say before we sign off? 
No, thank you, Mark. I, I really enjoyed speaking with you. You had some really great hard-hitting questions. Always welcome those. Um, of course, taking ideas back to our product team that I think that I know actually they're already working on the ones that uh, you suggested, but always welcome to invite others in the future. Uh, follow Zengo on Twitter. We're going at, at Zengo. We're, we're going to be announcing some pretty exciting things in the next few months. Um, and come come and join us on, on the Zen side of crypto. It, it, maybe you don't need to move all of your assets there. I wouldn't recommend anyone to move all of their assets to a new wallet that they just discovered a few days ago, right? But at the very least, check us out. I know I personally feel much more comfortable with my assets there than anywhere else in the in the crypto ecosystem. All right. Good to know. Well, thank you so much, Ari, and uh, appreciate your time and appreciate what you guys are building. Thank you, Mark. It's been great.